to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. I'll be joined here in just a moment by co-hosts Tyler Burton and Corbin Pulson. Tonight, we've got a special edition of the podcast. We recorded live via Twitter spaces. And so if you don't want to miss that in the future, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Podcast uh, and, and join in on the discussion there. Uh, we'll talk about uh, you know what happened in Fort Worth against TCU, some of the things that we might utilize to improve as the defense looks to take on the Longhorns in the Cotton Bowl. And we'll preview that game uh, extensively as well. And then we'll wrap up this evening with our best bets and score predictions for week six of college football. Uh, it's a little bit different experience, a little bit different audio quality because it is recorded live on Twitter. But we appreciate everyone listening and we'll go ahead and dive in. Two things that uh, we wanted to cover this evening was, one, uh, what happened at TCU, all the things that went wrong there, some of the things that we think might be able to uh, hopefully get improved or or potentially changed as we head into the OU Texas game, and uh, and then, of course, what we're expecting to see in the Cotton Bowl. So uh, we'll actually go ahead and start diving in. Tyler, I know you didn't have a chance to watch the game live as you were working, which may have been a, a good thing. But, uh, you know, after you had a chance to rewatch and see everything that was going on on the defensive side of the ball or maybe things that weren't going on on the defensive side of the ball, what were your impressions? And, I mean, what, what do you take away from a performance like this? Yeah, 55 to 24 TCU. And guys, honestly, it could have been a lot worse. Um, TCU could have put 70 on Oklahoma if they really wanted to. Um, going back and looking at it, TCU averaged just a little over 10 yards of play uh, in the first half, which is just embarrassingly awful. Basically, every time Max Duggan snapped the football, TC, TCU got a first down. It might be, guys, the worst football game I've ever seen an Oklahoma team play. And I've watched every game, every OU game for the better part of the last 20 years. So, no is, it, is it worse than Baylor 2015? Uh, I think that yeah, was the year. I'd probably have to say so, especially coming off of a loss going, you know, going on the road, you know, Oklahoma's only lost back-to-back games one other time since 1999. You would have expected this team to respond in a little bit better way. And just from the get go, it was just off to a really, really bad start. Marvin Mims fumbles on the opening possession. And then from there on out, Oklahoma's defense couldn't find their footing. It was big play after big play given up. Uh, and lo and behold, you find yourself suffering a 55 to 24 loss to a conference opponent. Uh, Got to come back home, dust yourself off, and look forward to a trip down to the Cotton Bowl for Texas. One of the things that we talked about after the K-State game was some personnel changes. We didn't really see any of those. We saw the same guys trotting out there. We saw some pretty interesting defensive alignments that happened uh, that probably led to some really easy success for the Horned Frogs. Tyler, I know there's been a lot of talk, and I guess Corbin too. I mean, there's been a lot of talk in regards to should the defense be simplified, should they keep trying to run some of the exotic looks and lineups that they're, they're trying to do? And I mean, what's, is there a, is there an answer here that could potentially maybe not get things perfect, but at least average or, or passable in the cotton bowl? I think I'm torn on this because I, I, I don't think there's anything to question when it comes to saying that this defense looked faster, more prepared and in better position in weeks one through three of this season. I think that is a safe statement to make. At the same time, we all know that BV's defense is pretty complicated. Do you dumb it down in order to save face in the grand scheme of things of what he's trying to build? That can actually work against you. So I'm kind of stuck in the middle here between 
do you try to save this season? Which, let's be honest, I think at this point, I don't know how much there is to save by dumbing down the defense, maybe playing a little bit better, or do you continue to play this three- to five-year plan where you're installing the defense the way it should be installed? The guys are either going to catch up or they're not, and unfortunately that may result in quite a few losses this year until they start to get it. Yeah, I think from a personnel standpoint, and if, if you even want to take it a step further and change up the schematics of this defense, I'm not sure that you do that right away right now. I think that that's probably two weeks from now once you do have the bye week. Um, you know, you've got Texas this weekend, Kansas is probably going to be a home or probably going to be a road favorite against Oklahoma. If you lose one or two of those games, then yes, I think that you've got to look in the mirror and probably have some, you know, difficult conversations, both in terms of schematics uh, and also maybe starting to build uh, towards the 2023 season, get some guys prepared to some younger, uh, you know, underclassmen. But, you know, guys, uh, K-State we thought was a one-off. TCU showed that there's some deeper issues within the, you know, within this team. Oklahoma didn't tackle well. They got out physical at the line of scrimmage. They didn't set the edge in the running game. The defensive backs panicked in coverage, get called for pass interference because they don't turn their head and find the football. So uh, if there's one thing that I would change uh, in the makeup of this defense going forward, I think that it might be time to abandon the three-man front. Um, yes, this three-three-five, where you've only got five guys in the box is not going to get it done in this league based on the personnel that you've got playing those positions. If you're only going to have three down linemen, all three of those guys have got to be able to win one-on-one matchups. They've got to be able to shed blocks, plug the holes, prevent guards and tackles, from being able to climb to the second level to take on your linebackers. Brent Venable's defenses at Clemson, uh, when he finally got it going, were able to be so multiple. They were able to play that 3-3-5 because you had guys like Dexter Lawrence, Vic Beasley, Christian Wilkins, and right now, we just simply don't have that caliber of player on this roster. Now, I've got some faith and confidence that it's going to get that way. Oklahoma's clearly you know, making a charge uh, in the recruiting rankings that we're going to continue to see the talent level get better uh, the longer that Brent Venables and this staff is enormous. So just give this coaching staff a little bit of time. But we're not seeing the same level of production from Todd Bates' group the last two weeks. Maybe you chalk that up to mistakes that they're making or probably because we're going up against better competition than UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska. But I think you've got to go back to a four-man front to try to help with stopping the run and getting pressure on the quarterback. I kind of go back and forth on a few different things here. Like, yes, the defense looked so great through the first three games. We saw the fundamentals of tackling. We saw virtually nobody running free in space. There's always a defender, a defensive back, at least right there making the tackle. They weren't gaining much yards after, after contact or after the catch. And so I wonder, like, could it just be simplified and let your athletes make plays? But then at the same time, it's like at some point you do have to install the Brent Venables defense. If it's not now, then when? And you can say, yes, it's new to all these guys, but I'm sure that there were freshmen that were playing at Clemson that were, were playing well. And that's, I'm sure it was a lot easier then because you maybe had, you know, 10 other guys on the field who knew what they were doing. And it was only the one guy who was, who was relatively new, but it, it shouldn't be that difficult to, to pick up. And um, I believe it was in the, the press conference earlier today from Brent Venables. Uh, if you guys maybe heard this more accurately, you can correct me, but he did bring up that I think there was 40 plays where OU held TCU to three yards or less. So it's like, is, is it close to kind of just, it's just a few assignments here and there because there were clearly busts in the secondary, uh, maybe even in the lineups too, where they just gave TCU free yards that was just completely uncontested. And it's like, can you adjust that a little bit so that you're not giving up those massive plays and suddenly it turns into you're not giving up 
whatever. I don't even know what the score was from Saturday, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of giving up 50 at TCR, you're giving up 34. I'm like, that's a huge improvement. That that gives you a chance to win the game. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like flashbacks to, you know, the 2016, 17, 18 defenses from, you know, the Mike Stoops era where, you know, Oklahoma might play, you know, go through a two to three play stretch where they do everything well, fundamentally sound. They play good, solid football, but it, but then – you're almost just waiting for that one play where there's a busting coverage where you give up a 60-yard run or a 75-yard touchdown. Um, I, I think that one of the things that, that's going to be really interesting moving forward, is, and like I talked about, it could be the the bye week. I don't think that you're going to see too many personal personnel changes this weekend other than some guys that are going to have to play uh, because of the injuries that we witnessed on Saturday, and we can touch on that here in a second. Linebacker, I don't think you can really change because of the lack of depth in that room. Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis are both redshirting. Unless you want to move to Sean White back inside, which may not be a bad idea, honestly. Uh, Billy Bowman and Damon Harmon sounds like they're going to be out for some time. I'd probably go with Keith Lawrence and Justin Harrington for the time being at the two safety positions and then rotate guys like Justin Field or Justin Broyles, Robert Spears Jennings in. Um, you know, guys, I, this is the second straight week that I've talked about this. It blows my mind that as bad as Oklahoma has been on defense the last two weeks, I guess it's not bad enough to get Jaron Kanick on the field. But this weekend, I really don't think that we're going to see too many changes that might come during the bye week if you lose to either both or Texas and Kansas. I think that was one of the most bizarre things about TCU is we we wonder where uh, Kanick was uh, against K-State. We heard maybe he was dealing with an injury. And so we're like, okay, maybe we won't see him against TCU. And there he is trotting down the field in the fourth quarter when the game's over. Mm-hmm. So it it's just it was bizarre not to see him out there it goes back to what I think I mentioned last week on our podcast, guys. If this was a single coaching staff choosing to continue to play these guys over and over and over again over younger talent, I think that would be one thing. But we've now seen this with back-to-back coaching staffs that guys like Justin Broyles are continuing to get dominant amounts of field time. And it doesn't make sense to us, but clearly, guys, there's something there that the coaches are seeing from multiple coaching staffs that does solidify why he should be out there instead of some of these younger guys. Do you guys think that the cupboard was more bare than what we thought it was coming into this year? And I'll be the first to admit and raise my hand and say, hey, I was wrong. Because if you go back to, I think it was the podcast before this, right before the season started, I looked around and I said, yeah, we lost some guys and we got some transfers in. And people are saying, oh, yeah, you're plugging in all these transfers and it's going to be tough for OU. I looked at that and said, I, all these transfers, I don't even think they're going to play because they're mainly guys from the group of five. And Jeffrey Johnson is playing some. C.J. Colden's not playing at all. Trey Morrison just is now starting to get a little bit of extra playing time, probably due to the Billy Bowman injury. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of guys coming in that you expected them to to play a whole lot. So I, I just wonder if the if the cupboard is more bare than than we really thought. Yeah, and, and Adam, I've you know I'm as guilty of anybody uh, as this. I, one of the things that we did talk about coming into the preseason is we didn't know how how good this Oklahoma football team was going to be, how you know how fast Brent Venables was going to be, and Jeff Levy were going to be able to implement their schemes if they've got if they had the player personnel currently on the roster to execute what they want to do on both sides of the football. Um, but I think that one, the Nebraska victory, um, as dominant as it was, it almost kind of gave everybody a false sense of hope of, okay, this team is a lot further along. This team is a lot more talented than we originally thought that they were going to be coming into the season. And then you get kind of brought back down 
down to earth after the Kansas State and the TCU performances. So I think that now as an Oklahoma fan sitting at three and two with, you know, the hardest game still left on your schedule, they're still out there. You've kind of got to tamper your expectations and you've got to kind of realize that, okay, Lincoln Riley, I mean, he, he, he screwed Oklahoma from a roster standpoint, from, you know, depleting this thing. Uh, We all knew that coming into the season, um, what the defense expectations were going to be, how good they were, how good they were going to perform. You know, this was not that good of a defense a year ago. And we lost a couple guys to graduation. We lost five or six guys off of that team that are now playing on an NFL roster. And so I guess it was probably a little bit unfair of us um, our expectations were a little bit high as far as how good this team could be so fast. And there's definitely some growing pains going on right now. But, you know, kind of like what Brenville's talked about last night uh, at Rudy's and even during his coaching show today, um, you got to keep going. I mean, you, you can't hide from it. You've got to dust yourself off. You've got to get back on the practice field. You've got to continue to work uh, because Oklahoma is not going to get sympathy from anybody. They got a little bit of sympathy in the fourth quarter from Sonny Dykes and TCU, not running the score up even more than they already had. But you've still got Texas, you know, Baylor, our, our tribal Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy. You don't think Mike Gundy's not going to want to hang 70 on this Oklahoma defense if he can? So you've got to figure out a way to dust yourself off, get back to playing more fundamentally sound, disciplined football. Uh, and that's if, if Oklahoma's going to have any chance this weekend, uh, which we'll get into it here in a second, it's got to start with that. I have heard that all week. Lincoln Riley has been brought up more this week about the OU program than probably anything since about week two. I, I don't like it. It's an excuse. Lincoln Riley absolutely left this program worse than he found it. I think we can all agree to that. But at the same time, Lincoln Riley doesn't control the effort that this defense did not show on Saturday. And that's one thing that bothers me that I think – we can talk about all all day, guys. Lincoln took some of our best players. We lost some to graduation. Clearly, this defense is not last year's defense. But at the same time, this defense in no way, shape, or form should be as bad as what we saw on Saturday. And so I, I think this is a, kind of a, I guess, catch-22 deal where both these things can be true. Lincoln Riley left OU in a bad spot, but this defense by no means should look as bad on the field as they did last week. I, I agree with that. It may sound a little bit like I'm talking out of both sides of my, my mouth in a way, because I was asking the question about, um, you know, did he leave the cupboard bare? But yeah, like regardless of whether he took guys to USC or other guys transferred out or not enough guys transferred in, like there should still be enough talent in a program like OU that this doesn't happen. I, I think everyone goes into, and a lot of people were, were thinking this at the beginning of the year saying, well, it, it's, It's a rebuild. It's a new coach. And people are even saying that right now in regards to, uh, you know, hey, look what Bob Stoops did in his first year. Look what Lance Leipold did in his first year. And then look what they did in their second year. And it's like that is totally, totally different than where OU was as a program. We won 11 games last year. Lincoln Riley did not get fired. He, He left in a really bad way and he screwed us on the way out. But this is still Oklahoma. There's still a lot of talent here. There's still a lot of resources set up uh, for the program to succeed. We were not down on our luck. Uh, we were very healthy in, in some ways. But, um, yeah, th- there's just no excuse to come out and perform like this. And so maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic, but I'm kind of hanging on to that little thread of belief that, like, it shouldn't be this bad, and they might just be on the edge of, like, a few tweaks, a few assignments that are more sound, and then, and then things should hopefully – click into gear a little bit more. So I know everyone's kind of down saying six and six, eight and four at at best at this point. 
I'm not quite there yet because I do think that the talent will win out at the end of the day once the light bulb starts turning on for some of these guys as the year goes on. Um, Tyler, you rewatched it in a lot of detail. Were, were there any bright spots that you could take away from the performance? Uh, sticking on the defensive side of the football, I think Grayson Halton was about the only bright spot that I saw on Saturday. Out, you know, he was a guy that you know made an imp- made an impact uh, coming off of the edge. Had a couple of tackles. You could definitely see the athleticism. There was one play where uh, TCU player was able to get outside, and you know Grayson Halton actually tracked him down from about five to ten yards uh, away. So uh, extremely athletic. We'll see, and hopefully Grayson can continue to get some more snaps. You know, I thought he was just as productive, if not more, than what we saw from the you know the uh, the, the starting. Uh, defensive ends and Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs. He was a lot more impactful in that game than they were on Saturday. But um, I, I think that moving forward, and especially if Billy Bowman is out for an extended amount of time, we know DeMond Harmon is going to be out for an extended amount of time. What is it going to take to start seeing, you know, Jaden Rowe, Robert Spears Jennings, Jordan Mukes, Gentry Williams, who I thought played extremely well uh, um, in the fourth quarter of the game at TCU. When's it gonna? When is it gonna kick in that maybe there comes a point in time where you've got to start building for the future? And I know that there's some seniors, there's some upperclassmen that have been a part of OU football, you know, for the last four to five years. But there comes a point in time where the younger guys, if you don't trust them. Okay, don't throw them out on the field. But how bad does it have to get, especially in the secondary, before you can't just say, okay, Gentry, get out there. Jaden, get out there. You guys can't possibly do any worse than what the current product on the field is right now. So we're going to throw you out there, and uh, this is how you're going to learn. You're the future of this program. Get out there, make plays, learn, and we'll go from there. Because it's going to take a little bit more time as Oklahoma continues to build this thing. And I think in today's – college football culture with the ability to transfer anywhere you want with the snap of a finger. That's even more of a reason to push the envelopes and getting these guys uh, playing time early, especially if they're, especially if you lose this weekend in Texas, why not, why not throw them out there, prepare them for next year, prepare for the next season, because I can guarantee you, if you don't play those young guys at all through this season, and we start looking at a four and eight, five and seven, whatever the record ends up being where it's not pretty and not to the standard that OU is looking for and those guys don't get any playing time while doing it. I can't see many of them sticking around that are actually high quality players that we've recruited over the past few years. So going to be really interesting just to see how this plays out and what is that limit where um, you kind of have, you have to have to play your cards and those cards are all the young guys. Let's talk offense a little bit. Um, Dylan Gabriel obviously got hurt, but before that, I was having kind of a, a mediocre to rough day, uh, potentially on the field. He was, I think, 7 of 16. The offense was really slow. That fumble right off the bat really hurt them. But I think it was the right decision to take the ball. I think we all said that in the podcast last week was, hey, get you know on the board first. Take the pressure off your defense. The fumble was just – I mean, it is what it is. It, it put the defense in a really bad position. <laughs> it backfired badly. But – what do you guys make of, of Dylan Gabriel's performance? We don't know when we'll see him again, but what do you make of this performance, knowing that he will come back at some point this year and likely be the starter again next season? Yeah, the offense couldn't get into a rhythm to start the game. That's been the case three out of the last four weeks, by the way. Um, like you said, Adam, Dylan Gabriel was 7 of 16 for 126 yards with a QBR rating of 25 before he got hurt on what was just a blatant cheap shot. I don't know what it is about TCU linebackers and Oklahoma quarterbacks, but it's starting to become a pattern. Um 
the overthrows and the accuracy issues have gotten worse as the season has gone on, you know, Dylan. So he's going to have to find a solution to those problems and clean up the mistakes when he gets back. Um, you know, guys, we've heard a small percentage of the OU fan base the last couple of weeks uh, calling for someone other than Dylan to play quarterback because of the inc- inconsistencies, the overthrows. Uh, and we've told those same people, I promise you do not want to have to see what is behind Dylan Gabriel because there is a massive drop off between QB one and QB two. And we got to see that on Saturday. Davis Bevel. I know he had to come on come on in in relief. He wasn't able to start the game, wasn't able to get a bulk of the first-team reps in practice coming into this game. Um, but I'm sorry. He's, he's not that guy. The biggest worry we had about this Oklahoma football team in the preseason is what is OU going to do if Dylan Gabriel somehow gets hurt? We saw that on Saturday, and it was worse than bad. I know we'll get into it in a second when we preview OU Texas, but if the Oklahoma defense continues to struggle – Guys, it doesn't matter who plays quarterback for this team. Oklahoma's going to struggle to make a bowl game this year. Dylan Gabriel, yeah, it is interesting to hear everyone say, like, oh, throw in the backup or he sucks or whatever. Um, But at the same time, we knew what Dylan Gabriel was when he came to OU. We knew he was a good quarterback from a group of five program, and he was good. He wasn't great. He wasn't Baker Mayfield. He wasn't Kyler Murray or anybody like that. I mean, that's kind of been the – Uh, the quarterback that we've had ever since both of those guys left uh, Oklahoma. And I I went back and I was like, I was curious. I was like, okay, what, what else was in the portal after that point where Caleb Williams transferred? I'm going to read off some names for you and tell me if any of these uh, appetize you. Uh, You've got Gary Bohannon, uh, Emory Jones, who's at uh, Arizona state now, Jaden Daniels, a guy that I think some people might consider a little bit differently. He's a little bit more mobile, but it seemed almost like he transferred out of Arizona State, specifically with LSU in mind. Uh, our old friend Shane Illingworth, who is now at Nevada. JT Daniels, I don't necessarily know that he's better than that. Braxton Burmeister transferred from Virginia Tech San Diego State, got his offensive coordinator fired last week. Henry Columbi, uh, Jaden Delora, he was okay. And then there's Jackson Dart. And he's been okay at Ole Miss. I don't think he's been, like, amazing or anything. He, he might have been better, who knows. But there's nothing significantly better out there. So – Everyone can complain about, yeah, he's, he's overthrowing or he's not as reliable, but we knew this when we got him way back in January. Like, we knew exactly what he was. I think he's probably right about on par, but he's not losing games for us necessarily. He's not winning them either, but he's not losing them for us. So he is what he is. Like, we have to get better on defense. We have to be able to run the ball better. I think Jeff Levy has to call some better games. He has to, especially at the beginning – Get the running game going. Take the pressure off your defense. Don't be holding the ball for a minute and go three and out. It has to be better uh, in that first quarter, I think, for the overall team success to come there. I I will say I'm not quite as on the same level you, Adam, as far as like we knew what we were getting with Gabriel. I also can't say that I watched a ton of UCF games when he was playing. All I saw were the highlights. And it's very clear now that – The windows that he was seeing against teams when he was at UCF are clearly were a lot bigger. Guys were running way more wide open. But even saying that, I don't think any of us knew his mechanical issues that were going to cause some of these errant throws that we're seeing week after week. And every week, those throws, the overthrows in particular, are getting worse and worse and worse. And so I don't know... And as much as I hated the broadcast uh, with Robert Griffin III on Saturday, Good if, God. If, if you can have Robert Griffin III watching the game live, calling out 
the mechanics of Gabriel that are, are incorrect. Certainly this is being discussed as a coaching staff and something on the field with Dylan. Like you would think they'd be getting him help, but we're seeing it again and again and again, guys. And at this point, I don't know whether to just accept this is what it is and you better get used to some overthrows or if there's optimism that this coaching staff can turn this around and coach him into these throws not being an issue. I'm in full agreement that Dylan isn't necessarily losing the games, but we are pretty used to around here in Norman. We are used to quarterbacks that can win you games, and we do not have that right now. And uh, it's clear that that's, that's a big issue. Davis Bevel looks very ill-prepared, and he has – I don't think he's ever started a game in college football, but he looked pretty rough out there when he came in to take over for uh, Dylan Gabriel. He looked uh, very skittish in the pocket. He didn't have great pocket presence. He kind of stepped up into the rush a lot of times. He held on to the ball. I, I guess he didn't turn it over. I guess that's that's the bright side there, but he never did anything – really impressive with the ball either as mainly check down uh, Charlie, which if you go back and watch what he did in the peach bowl against Michigan state, Michigan state being one of the worst pass defenses in all of college football last year, that's kind of what he did. And uh, he, he held him in there. Okay. Just by doing that, but that's just not going to be a winning strategy. So I, I think there's a high likelihood that he is the starter going to the cotton bowl. Uh, if Dylan Gabriel is not able to go, we'll see what he can do with some more preparation and some more reps under his belt. Um, but it, yeah, he just does not look like a guy that's really going to be able to do anything for you. Maybe he takes care of the ball and doesn't turn it over, but I, I mean, what are you what are you doing at that point? You have to take some risks to get some rewards because he's not going to give you any, in my opinion. He's don't, a you, third, don't you don't you have to put somebody mobile in there, like just to give you a chance? We'll we'll get to that in a second, guy. Is there is there one bright spot that you can take away from the offensive performance outside of Braden Willis? Another really solid game. Had this you know seventy plus yard, uh, one yard short of the touchdown. Javante Barnes, eighteen carries, one hundred yards, two scores. Ran the ball extremely well. Was physical. Um, I said before the season that I thought Javante Barnes was going to be the starting running back by Texas. Uh, I didn't think that it was going to take uh, injuries from Marcus Major and Eric Gray, who even hobbled off. Uh, in Fort Worth as well. Uh, but Javante Barnes, if Oklahoma's going to have any shot against Texas this weekend, he's got to have a big game. Um, but, guys, anything else on TCU? Let's move on. Let's move on to Texas. I thought they ran the ball pretty well. I think Eric Gray will play on Saturday. He's probably just a little bit dinged up. But I, I thought they ran the ball fairly effectively, especially before Dylan Gabriel went out. It's just, you know, you put yourself in such a hole that then you aren't able to continue running the ball. Uh, you have to kind of pass to get back in the game, even in the first quarter. But, um, yeah, I thought they, they ran the ball okay, so hopefully they can continue that. We'll see if Juan A. Morris is able to help pave the way on the offensive line, but I thought, thought they were okay running the ball. Well, let's look ahead to OU Texas uh, coming up this weekend. You know, guys, I love the Masters. I love the World Series. I love March Madness, but this is by far my favorite weekend of the year in sports. It's a cliche, I know, but there is really, uh, as an Oklahoma fan, there is nothing like going down to Dallas for the weekend for OU Texas. I know that the excitement level for this game is a little bit down this year for, an, for Oklahoma fans because of how the last two weeks have gone, but it's still going to be a great atmosphere at the Cotton Bowl on Saturday morning. I can't wait to get down there. Guys, let's start when Texas has the football. Step number one, pray, because this is an offense that's averaging 36.8 yards per game, just a hair over 415 total yards a game, uh, averaging around 6.9 yards per play. And, guys, 37% conversion rate on third downs. And I guess the biggest thing that, you know, sticks out to me outside of the playmakers, the speed, and the talent 
The offensive line has only given up nine sacks on the year so far. That unit, with their youth and inexperience, is playing much, much better than many people anticipated before the year started. We don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback this weekend. We expect it's going to be Quinn Ewers. Uh, after watching the defense at Oklahoma the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure it's going to matter um, because Hudson Card is a serviceable player who's got uh, 923 passing yards, completing 69% of his passes. And then you just go down the skill talent, guys. B. John Robinson, Roshan Johnson, both averaging over four and a half yards of carry. Xavier Worthy, Jordan Woodington out on the perimeter. And then a guy that I am – if I'm Brent Venables and I'm Ted Roof this weekend I'm and I'm trying to game plan how I'm going to defend this Texas offense, Jatavion Sanders, the freshman, 20 catches on the year. He's averaging 10 yards a catch. The tight end, he's got three touchdowns. He's dangerous in the red zone. Um, one of the things that is going to be very interesting when we try to forecast, you know, how is this Texas team going to try and attack Oklahoma? Guys, OU was outscored by Kansas State and TCU 41-17 to total in the first quarter. Texas is going to try to deliver the knockout punch right out of the gate in this game. After seeing the way Oklahoma started the last couple of weeks with Dylan Gabriel likely sidelined for the Sooners, Sarkeesian knows if he can get up early on this team, Oklahoma will not not have the offensive capability uh, to, to keep up and play from behind in this one. So we know we're going to see a heavy dose of B. John Robinson. That's a given. He's the best Big 12, uh, or he's the best back in the Big 12, probably top three in the country. But with the breakdowns in coverage, the penalties, and the big plays that this OU secondary has given up the last couple of weeks, you're going to see a lot of screen passes, a lot of go balls down the field, wheel routes. They're going to force our defensive backs to cover downfield and come close to the line of scrimmage, force them to make tackles out in space. So we'll see if Oklahoma can fix those mistakes and get back to playing defense like we saw the first three weeks of the season. I would say if you want to attack the OU defense, just run some plays, really. Um, <laughs> I'd throw I mean, the ball downfield every time. You're either going to get a pass interference because the corner's going to tackle you or you're probably going to catch it. I mean, possibly. I would like to think that there should be some improvement, uh, specifically in the, the formation that this defense trots out there. Uh, yeah, three mm-hmm. defenders out there, like, like you highlighted this on our Twitter thread earlier in the week, Tyler, in regards to how the defense was lined up and basically just giving TCU the open play, essentially. You know, hey, everyone's over on the right side of the ball, run it over to the left, like it's wide open for you. Or, you know, hey, the defenders are 10 yards off the ball and you only need two yards to run a quick screen. Like it's, it's there for, for the taking. So I'd like to think that some of those lineups – um, you know, would be changed or at least better executed as far as, you know, hey, guys are flowing into the, the gaps after the snap happens. Um, and hopefully that can help uh, confuse, you know, the Texas Texas Longhorns. So we'll see. I, I, I Generally, when you get to this OU-Texas game, there's – you see a lot offensively with the wrinkles. But defensively with Brent Venables, you'd like to think there's wrinkles that he's saved and held back for this game. But – I don't even know if the defense can execute that wrinkle, much less the basic stuff that we've seen them try to implement over the last two weeks. So I, I don't know what to say here. Um, you know, hopefully there's just, there's guys are just put in a better position and mentally come in and say, Hey, like my back's against the wall. Like I have nothing else to lose at this point. I have to listen to the coaches. I have to execute. I have to be on my game and, you know, maybe this is right where, where we want Texas. We've come into this game year after year after year and said, yeah, there's no way Texas should be able to win this game. They're in complete disarray. Um, they, they look like a 5-7 and seven team. Well, who's that team now? And so, I, I don't know. They, we haven't seen OU in this position very often, so it'll be interesting to see how they come out and respond. I think you're spot on. I, 
if there's one thing we do know about this game is that literally anything can happen, right? Texas could be trotting here at 0-5. We could be doing the same. This could be a huge upset, could be close, could be a blowout. Anything can happen on Saturday. That we know. I think one thing I would at least like to see from the defensive side of the ball is try to make Texas at least one-dimensional. Like, do something. Take away half of it. Because on Saturday, you didn't take away any of it. If they, As you mentioned, Tyler, to kick things off, when TCU snapped the ball in the first half, it was the first down. You, that that can't happen. Uh, either load up the box and try to make Hudson Card beat you through the air. Good luck with that with B. John Robinson obviously sitting in the backfield. Or take away the arm of Hudson Card and hope that some of these linebackers can keep up with, uh, with Bijan. But last time I checked, I was seeing uh, most of our defense getting outran by Max Duggan and uh, obviously uh, Martinez from K-State. So I don't necessarily trust our speed to keep up with these guys either. Yeah, you've definitely got to force uh, you've got to force Texas to be one dimensional because if you can't stop the run on Saturday, you can't contain B. John Robinson. You have no chance whatsoever in this game, especially if Quinn Ewers just playing quarterback and you know he throws about as good of a deep ball as any quarterback in America. You know, guys, Brent Venables was asked uh, in his press conference today about the difficulty of putting together a game plan when you don't know if it's going to be Ewers or Carter quarterback. And you know, I think he was right when he said it's going to be the same same game plan regardless because. Texas is going to run the same offense no matter who's taking the snap. Quinn Ewers has got the elite arm talent, but he's not very mobile. Hudson Carr can, you know, definitely hurt you with his legs if you let him, but he's a more he's more than capable of making all the throws that that Texas offense demands. So if you're Ted's roof bunch this week, to me there's three big things Oklahoma's defense has got to do uh, to not get run off the field by Texas on Saturday. Number one is discipline and tackling. Know your assignments, execute the call, play with physicality at all three levels, and gain tackle. Uh, something that they were doing the first three weeks of the season. I don't know where that's gone over the last couple. Number two for me, covering the deep ball. After seeing how bad our secondary handled the downfield passing attack against TCU on Saturday, Texas is stupid if they don't try to throw the deep ball at least ten times in this one. Uh, play, um, you know, play fast, trust your technique, and for God's sakes, turn around and find the football when it's in the air. Last thing for me, number three, I should have let off with this one. Stop B. John. If you can't contain them, Oklahoma has zero shot on Saturday. The defensive line has got to get off blocks, not allow Texas's line to climb up to Uguebu and Stussman. If B. John gets out in space, nobody should feel good about our secondary being asked to consistently tackle him in the open field. I, I will add to this discussion. I, I kind of called for a little bit more man coverage after that K-State game. We didn't really see it against TCU. I wonder if there's an opportunity to mix in some man coverage here. That could be more simplified. We saw a lot of bust in the zone coverage against TCU. And I wonder if OU could just say, hey, you're an athlete, they're an athlete, let's try to just, you know, man on man there and, and beat them that way. And I wonder if that would put the corners in some better positions to be able to look back for that ball, especially if Quinn Ewers is playing. He's not the most mobile guy. So I think you can afford to have your defensive backs uh, looking, you know, and focusing on the other direction. Um, and not having to have their eyes forward for that mobile quarterback in the zone coverage. So I'm curious to see if if we see maybe some of that mixed in. And it may sound kind of weird, like you talked about, Tyler, in regards to stopping one or the other. I kind of wonder if you focus on stopping the pass. Typically, that's a little bit of a backwards thinking, but we've seen Sarkeesian, uh, you know, just kind of forget about Bijan Robinson at times because the pass is is the sexy play to call. It's, it's, you know, where you have your, your cool plays that you want to run as, as an offensive coordinator. And could we almost like lull him to sleep without using Bijan if, you know, he's frustrated with not getting the pass game to work? Could be curious, uh, especially if Quinn Ewers is back and he wants to show off what he can do. 
I don't know. My play no use favor there. You guys, if I'm Texas, I'm not playing Ewers. Are you guys? I wouldn't play him. I'm not. I don't think you need him. Yeah, I don't think they need him either, but I don't think that coaches view that the same way that we do as far as, oh, we don't need him, so we just won't play him. I, I think they view it more as like, here's an opportunity for him to get reps and get ready for the next game, especially easy reps against an OU defense potentially. Yeah, and, and I will say this, and, you know, Adam, I, I should have gone back during the rewatch and counted the number of plays where Oklahoma only rushed three or, you know, maybe they sent a linebacker or something to Max Duggan had all day to stand back there in the pocket and pick this defense apart. I think going into Saturday, especially if yours, who's kind of an immobile quarterback, especially compared to Hudson Card, if you're going to – if you are if you don't trust your secondary to be able to hold up in coverage, send some pressure and try to get there before he has time to, to find uh, Worthy or Whittington down the field. You're going to have to take some chances on Saturday in order to, you know, maybe force an interception, force a turnover, uh, you know, force Quinn Ewers to become uncomfortable on Saturday. If you continue with this 3-3-5 that Oklahoma's rolled out there over the last, you know, two out of the last three games, I, I don't see how it works. I really don't. You're, you're going to give Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card way too much time to, you know, uh, pick this defense apart. You've got to take some chances on Saturday, send some blitzes from some, uh, uh, different areas uh, on the field and see if you can generate a turnover because that's to me that's the only chance you're not going to stop this Texas offense over four quarters but you got to figure out a way to force them uh, into you know get fall behind in the change get them in second and eighth second and twelve uh, make them a little bit uncomfortable because Texas is going to try to deliver that haymaker right there in the first quarter do we have a better shot at beating Texas with Quinn at the quarterback position just simply due to his inability to be mobile if Dylan Gabriel doesn't play quarterback on Saturday, I don't really think it matters. I think you could. Just, I think they could start the Murphy kid. Yeah, I mean, possibly. It, it is interesting because Quinn Ewers, we've seen him for not even a game and a half. And against Louisiana Monroe, he was just kind of eh. And against Alabama, he was great. So was that all scripted plays? Was that him just being amped up for that game? Was it the entire team being amped up and, and Alabama being asleep? Like, who knows what that scenario is? So I don't think we fully know what Quinn Ewers is. We know he's definitely less experienced than Hudson Card. He's probably immensely more talented, but could he gift OU some turnovers? This is like a defense of yesteryear for OU when we couldn't just, you know, find a turnover anywhere. Like it seems to, with a, a, the ball that bounces so funny, it seems like every team locks into turnovers, you know, at least once a game, but this defense just can't find that. So maybe a, an inexperienced guy like Quinn Ewers could gift OU some turnovers that might be able to, to, to help out. Let's talk about the offense, guys. Yeah, when Oklahoma has the ball on Saturday, Texas' defense um, kind of feels like we've said this. Uh, this will be the third straight week in a row. This will be the best defense that Oklahoma has uh, has seen so far this season. Texas is fourth in the Big 12, giving up just a, just a hair over 21 points a game. Uh, 366 total yards a game. Um, very, very good run uh, run defense down in Austin that they've got this year. Just a hair under 3.3 yards a carry. Uh, 11 sacks, two interceptions, which, you know, two interceptions, that's not too many uh, by the standards of Texas, what they do down there each and every year. But both of those uh, were pick sixes. So, for me, guys, it all starts with number zero for Texas. To Marvion Overshawn, I cannot wait for this guy to graduate. He's probably the most athletic linebacker in the Big 12 this year. Uh, he's doing some fantastic things. Uh, again, uh, Jalen Ford, the middle linebacker, leading the team in tackles this year with 51. Um, very, very big up front. Keandre Coburn, I know that Andrew Rame struggled against this guy a year ago. 
that's going to be a matchup to watch. If OU wants to be able to run the football on Saturday, Andrew Raymond, this offensive line, is going to have to hold up against that three-man front of uh, Ajomo, Coburn, and uh, Tavondre Sweat. So I think that one of the things that's going to be very interesting, depending on who plays quarterback this weekend, is how do you try to attack this this Texas secondary because there is – their size and their speed. We all know the name Ryan Watts. He was he was. Uh, many people thought that he would end up in Norman over once he was coming out of high school. The transfer from Ohio State, uh, Deshaun Jameson uh, playing corner on the opposite side. Jaron Thompson at the free. Anthony Cook at the strong. Texas has speed, speed, and a whole lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. So, I guess really, guys, when we try to break this thing down, who plays quarterback for Oklahoma on Saturday, and uh, what are your expectations? Well, Brent Venable said in his press conference today that three different guys are going to be taking reps uh, in preparation if Dylan Gabriel is not able to go. Now, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are just assuming that he's, he's, he's out, and I think a lot of that is based on the Tua uh, situation that happened with the Dolphins, and all concussions are different. I think what we do know is that I believe this is Dylan Gabriel's first concussion of record here, so... It was it was good to see that he was on the practice field yesterday. He wasn't, you know, in pads. He was just tossing the ball on the sidelines. But I think that's a step in the right direction if you're willing to, you know, put him out there where in the loud practice. And we probably won't know. I don't think OU knows or will know until maybe Thursday or Friday if he's going to be able to go, which means he's probably not getting any live reps this week, which could be disappointing if he is. But I think it's foolish to say we know for sure he's not going to play mainly influenced based on the Tua situation. We just don't know. Uh, we're not doctors. We don't know how guys recover from that. But I think in all likelihood, it's Davis Bevel. Uh, I would like to think that it's General Booty or, or Nick Evers, who Brent Venable specifically mentioned, has looked good in certain situations in, in practice. But I, I just don't see them going to a guy that's incredibly green in a situation for the Cotton Bowl where it is very difficult to play, even if you are an experienced guy, but making your first start in that game. So – it it sure be throwing a guy to the wolves there. It if you're gonna put your best foot forward, especially in a Jeff Levy offense, you have to throw somebody out there that's mobile. And so to me, that either is Nick Evers, and I think General Booty has a little little bit of speed to him, but Bevel is literally just a standing statue. I mean, it, it's it's Quinn Ewers esque as far as like his his inability to move. And so when you're watching this on Saturday of Davis Bevel running a read option, you j- it just doesn't make any sense. So if if the arm is indifferent, if none of these guys can throw overly well, which I think it's safe to assume probably can't, you might as well get somebody in there who can move because especially in the college football space. The quarterback that can move is a game changer. And we know we at least have one quarterback in this quarterback room who can move. So to me, it just throw the freshman out there, give Evers a chance. It may, but, but what's the better option? I can see it. What's, what's the better option? There isn't if, a great option. Yeah. I mean, if Dylan Gabriel somehow plays Saturday, that changes my expectations a little bit for this game. Um, it'll definitely give this team some, some added confidence. If eight, if eight trots out there on Saturday, um, but I really don't expect Dylan Gabriel to play. I think that we can probably kind of put that to bed. So if you're Jeff Levy, you know, like you guys said, what do you do? Because what we saw from Davis Bevel on Saturday at TCU, Oklahoma's probably not reaching double digit but with that kind of quarterback play against Texas. Now, here's where I think OU fans are going to disagree and get mad at me. Micah Bowens hasn't played one meaningful snap at Oklahoma. He's not the answer. General Booty got one series against TCU on Saturday in the fourth quarter. He didn't throw a pass. He's not the answer. Um 
This brings me to Nick Evers because we've seen a lot of talk about it. Brent Venables talked about it in the, in the press conference today. He's been all over social media. I know everybody is excited about this kid. Four-star, top 250 uh, recruit, dual-threat quarterback out of Flyer Mound. He has the potential to be a really, really good player. And Brent talked about it today, how much better he's gotten uh, and how he's continued to progress in this offense. Maybe it'll happen, and I'll be shocked if it does. But I don't know how you can start this kid on Saturday. He's never taken a snap in college. I'm not sure Saturday at 11 a.m. on ABC inside the Cotton Bowl for OU Texas is when you want to baptize this, this kid. So I think Devis Bevel starts, but you need to have a package or two ready for Nick Evers to mix in some quarterback run game because this Texas defense is too talented, too big, and too fast to just expect six foot six Davis Bevel to stand back there in the pocket all day. You've got to get creative with your play calling, run the football, chew up some clock, use every second of that play clock to try and shorten the game uh, and keep that Texas offense on the sideline. You win the rushing battle, force a turnover or two from Texas, make a big play in special teams, Oklahoma might, might have a shot at this. Yeah, General Booty, just for some perspective, rushed for about 250 yards on 70 carries in junior college. That works out to about three and a half yards a carry. So it's it's better than what Bevel is, in my opinion. Um, we just really haven't seen him much. But I I agree. I think with Bevel, I think you roll him out there and you see, like, can we run the ball effectively and not have to pass a whole lot? Because if, if Eric Gray can average six, seven yards a carry, and maybe you have some some bigger personnel lineups, two tight ends, maybe some extra offensive linemen in there in certain situations, and you just say, hey, we're going to try to out outstrength you uh, into a victory here. Maybe you stick with that long term and you only ask him to throw 15 you know, passes throughout the entire game. Um, that could be a scenario, but I think you, like Tyler mentioned, I think you have a package of maybe like 10 plays with options off of those 10 that, um, you know, you can use for Nick Evers and say, Hey, like, here's a guy, we know he has the highest ceiling of any of the available quarterbacks to us. Um, there's maybe a 10% chance that that high ceiling is achieved on, on this particular Saturday. Maybe he rushes for 150 yards and two touchdowns and, and passes a little bit with some success, but you, you know, that also at the same time, the likelihood that, he absolutely throws, you know, two pick sixes is, is also there, but at least there's a chance of having success with Davis Bevel. I just, I can't, I can't see a situation where he runs out there and throws for 250 yards and two touchdowns and OU is, is in this game. I just, I can't see that. I mean, it's hard to disagree with you. Uh, I, I don't think there's anybody on the roster who gives OU a good shot at winning. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dylan gives you the best opportunity, but I don't know, guys. I, and I, I find it hard to believe that OU is just going to be able to run the ball at will. Not without Marcus Major. I think if you're going to play that game, you need three really healthy backs to, to go do that. You don't have it. I, I don't yeah. know. If you're Texas and it's not Dylan Gabriel that plays quarterback for Oklahoma on Saturday, you load the box up, you go man-on-man out on the perimeter – and you trust that your guys are going to be able to get to Bevel before he can find an open receiver because he's not mobile enough to get outside the pocket. I, I texted you guys during the rewatch. Uh, Davis Bevel, he makes he makes uh, Landry Jones look like Kyler Murray. That's how un, uh, unathletic this guy is. And again, he's six foot six to no fault of his own. But you got to do something. You got to throw a mobile quarterback in there. You've got to figure out a way to keep Texas off balance because they're going to load the box up to try to stop the run, and that uh, that that pretty much puts it over for Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. As far as the game plan there goes, you know, Lebby likes to run a really fast offense, a lot of passing. I 
I feel like he's going to try to do it with Davis Bevel. I don't think he's going to try to slow this game down, which I think is the strategy. I think the, the slower this game is and, and kind of the strategy that we saw other teams implement against Lincoln Riley's offense last year was we'll, we'll try to run down the field and chew up eight minutes of the clock and reduce the amount of possessions that that offense is able to get. And in turn, you essentially get to the end of the game with, you know, one possession and you really just need the ball to bounce your way in a certain scenario. And maybe you have a chance to win that. And I think that's kind of the, the strategy here for OU as a, a, an overall team is shorten the game, shorten the amount of possessions that your defense has to be out there, the amount of plays that they have to defend against and hope that maybe you get a turnover, you know, on, on their side of the field. Um, and, and you get to the end of the game and you have one possession to, to win it or, or to hold on to win. But I just don't think Levy's going to try to do that. I feel like we're going to run NASCAR speed. We're going to try to pass a lot still, and I just don't think it's going to be effective. That's how you give up 70 if you're not clicking on defense. If you're uh, if you're Jeff Levy, you win the toss. You take that ball on Saturday, right? You kind of have to. I don't know. I, I think, guys, I, I think it's the same thing we discussed on the defensive side of the ball is – do you stop your plan for the sake of your roster? I don't know. You know what Levy wants to do. Is he going to adjust for the sake of a roster when that's not his game plan? It's the same thing. It's the same question on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I, and I, you mentioned if Davis Bevel is the quarterback rolls out there, Texas will ab- no, almost regardless of who's out there. If it's not the only Gabriel, they're going to load the box. And I do think that's where you say, okay, We'll run, we'll run some wildcat against that because we need the extra blocker in that particular situation. Uh, if you have Davis Bevel out there and he's not, even if he runs a read option and reads it correctly, he may get, you know, three yards. It's just not going to be a lot. So I, I don't particularly see that uh, coming out as a success. All right, guys, let's go ahead and hop into beers and bets this week. Uh, take a quick look at the rankings. Tyler and I still leading the way at 13 and 12, even though both of us had uh, two and three weeks last week. Adam, not winning as much as the rest, but also not losing as much as the rest. Uh, interesting strategy. We're going to see how that plays out for him down the stretch. But, guys, let's hop right into it. Tyler, I know you got to pick the hits close to home for all of us. Give it to us. This is an easy one for me, regardless of who is quarterbacking for both teams on Saturday. Oklahoma is decimated with the injuries coming off what was probably the worst game that I've ever experienced as an Oklahoma fan. I don't trust this defense to slow down B. John Robinson in Texas whatsoever. Um, OU's been abysmal in the first half uh, each of the last, uh, I guess it's been each of the last four weeks. I expect that trend to continue on Saturday. So uh, give me Texas first half minus four. Feels like a very safe bet. I'm going to go with something I think is a little bit more risky. I'm going to take Ole Miss to cover the 18 at Vanderbilt in Nashville. And Ole Miss is coming off a pretty big win, so I hope they don't sleepwalk through this, but I think they're a significantly better team than the Commodores. I'm going to go for a a team that I was mocked and laughed at for picking early uh, this year to show up out of the Big Ten West, who is currently tied for the lead in the Big Ten West. Nebraska Cornhuskers finding some momentum We'll see what happens. I still think Rutgers is a pretty bad football team. Give me the Cornhuskers minus three, possibly to stay in the lead in the Big Ten West and have an opportunity to control their destiny heading to Indy. Lots of of season left, Tyler. Nicely done. Pick number two for me. I'm going out to ACC country. Florida State traveling to Raleigh to take on NC State. Both teams are coming off of a loss in this one, but NC State played well in a close game game at Clemson. I like the Wolfpack to bounce back in this position at home Saturday night and cover 
the three and a half against the Knolls. I'm going to the Mountain West for my number two pick, Wyoming at New Mexico. Taking the over on this one, it's set at 36 and a half. Now, both of these teams have hit 37 or more points in every single game they've played this year, with one exception, Wyoming playing at Air Force. We know how that triple option can go. I picked the wrong way for Air Force and Navy last week. I'm not making that mistake uh, on this one. I think these are two really bad teams, so I think there could be some points there. Adam hates the troops. I'm going to stick with that FSU at NC State game. Give me the Wolfpack minus three and a half. I think FSU, super talented, but kind of a wake-up call. It felt like against Wake Forest. I think kind of brings them down to earth a little bit. Great minds think alike. We're sticking in the Big 12 right here in Ames, Iowa. K-State traveling to take on the Cyclones. Adrian Martinez and this Wildcats offense are coming off back-to-back wins in which they put up over 450 yards of total offense. Iowa State guys, Matt Campbell's group has lost back-to-back games and were only able to put up 11 points a week ago in Lawrence. That's not going to fly against this K-State rushing attack. This line feels too good to be true, but I'm going to take K-State to cover the two points on the road. I think it's too good to be true. I'm taking the bait on this one as well. (laughs) K-State minus two at Iowa State. I do think this is a one-possession game, but I do think the Wildcats are going to win. I think it's kind of difficult to win a game by only two points just by the nature of how scores go. So... Yeah, I'm taking the bait there. I would I would love the data on this. I think any game that you guys have picked the same, it has been a loss. Uh, so we'll see if that streak has uh, – we'll, we'll stick. I'm going to go out to the SEC, South Carolina at Kentucky. Kentucky certainly not playing quite as well as they did uh, early in the year, but I do think South Carolina is that bad. I worry about Spencer Rattler going off one or two games a year, very Bo Nix-esque, but give me the Wildcats minus 10.5. That seems too good to be true. I think it might bite me in the butt, but I'm going to take it anyway. <laughs> Corbin, I'm staying in the SEC for this one. We're going down to Baton Rouge, undefeated Tennessee, traveling to Death Valley to take on 4-1 LSU. Vegas has the Volunteers as a three-point favorite, and I love this pick for two reasons. Tennessee's coming off of a bye week, and this is an 11 a.m. kickoff, which means that Tennessee does not have to fight uh, the uh, just fantastic atmosphere that is Death Valley at nighttime. So I think Hinden Hooker is going to be too much for Brian Kelly's squad. Give me Tennessee and the three points. I'm going to the ACC with my number four pick. I've got Duke covering the three at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech just got a big win over a ranked Pittsburgh team that I didn't really consider a top 25 team, but they were somehow still there. And really what happened in that game was uh, Georgia Tech was the benefactor of three turnovers in the second half there that they were able to score off of each of those against Pitt. Now, uh, Duke, on the other hand, is number four in the country in turnover margin. So I don't think that they're going to give the Yellow Jackets that many opportunities. I think they'll be able to win this one fairly handily in a venue that's not really that hard to play in. Speaking of venues not hard to play in, going to go out to the Pac-12. You'd think I learned my lesson by now. I think I lost three Pac-12 games last week. Uh, but I'm going to go out to UCLA. Give me Utah, minus four. Um, UCLA may be better than we think. But I think Utah is pretty legit. Seem to be finding their stride after that Florida loss. Utah minus four. That was the last pick that I had on my card, Corbin. I actually took it off in favor of this next one. I'm staying in the SEC, CBS primetime. In the preseason, some were labeling this game of the year in college football. Texas A&M traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. I know Bryce Young isn't 100%, and he might not even play, guys. But this Texas A&M offense is one of the worst offenses in the Power Five. Saban remembers what Jimbo said about him in the offseason, and the Aggies boys have lost their last four trips to Bryant-Denny Stadium by an average margin of 32.8 points per game. This one gets out of hand fast. Give me Alabama, minus 24. We'll see if Bryce Young plays. It seems like he will, but uh, still up in the air there. 
For my last one, I'm going with the team that ranks in the top 30 in both total offense and total defense, but yet they are not eligible to go to a bowl game this year. That's the Dukes from James Madison, 11 and a half point favorites. They're on the road at Arkansas State. I think that they can cover that. It's probably the one I feel the most uneasy about just because it's a team that's transitioning from FCS to FBS, but the Dukes have been absolutely solid so far. I think that they'll be able to, uh, to take on Arkansas State pretty handily. I've gone back and forth on this pick. I had A&M Bama. Gives me just a little bit of pause um, with Bryce Young being in question. Texas A&M's defense isn't terrible. They looked really bad last week, but I think they're better than what they showed on the field. I'm actually going to go out to uh, – to, uh, let's see who we're looking at here. Indiana. Michigan at Indiana. Uh, Wolverines minus 22. Uh, that seems like a big number, but I don't think Indiana is that good. Michigan's defense can keep doing what they've been doing. I think that's a pretty easy victory for the Wolverines. Guys, that wraps up our beers and bets. Let's get into score predictions. Adam, kick us off. Yeah, we've talked at length on the podcast tonight about all the troubles and how dire this situation looks in the Cotton Bowl. And I I want to believe, I want to be positive. I, I feel like I am typically a pretty positive outlook guys, uh, guy for, for OU and but I just can't get there on this one. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that Dylan Gabriel plays. I think we're, regardless of who OU rolls out there, I just don't think that we see much success offensively because, uh, you know, I just don't think Jeff Levy will employ the game plan that's needed there. So I only have OU scoring 17 points, uh, but I have uh, the defense holding Texas to just 38. I think the only thing that saves them from getting into the 40s there is simply that I think the pace of play slows down with OU running the ball a lot more. And uh, so I just think time will run out as far as Texas being able to have more offensive success. Adam, it took me three different um, times to get through the rewatch of OUTCU over the weekend. Just bad, bad football all the way around. Like I said, we talked about it on the podcast all night long. Um, if Dylan Gabriel plays, I give OU somewhat of a chance in this game, but especially with all the Tua stuff that's been going on, uh, concussion in football kind of being, you know, the, the talking point of, uh, you know, in the world of sports right now, I just don't see Dylan Gabriel playing. I do not trust Davis Bevel, whatever quarterback that OU throws out there, uh, to compete against this Texas defense. So I can't believe I'm about to say it. I'm going Texas 52, Oklahoma 13. Ouch. Well, I'm taking a score prediction from both of you guys. I've got Texas 52, OU 17. Uh, I don't think this is ever close, guys. Um, The sad part is I actually don't think Texas is all that good. Um, I just think this is a a mismatch. I agree with you, Tyler. I think OU may have a shot if Dylan plays, but not if he plays like he did last week. Um, And so it's frustrating to see. I think all of us would gladly be wrong. Are, Are we in the moral victory? Uh, mentality for this week. I don't know. I know we'll discuss that, uh, you know, throughout the week as we get closer to the game, but I don't think this is close and I, I it may even feel worse than 52-17. So uh, a lot of optimism on the pod this week. There you go. Well, the team has given us so much to be optimistic about. So that's going to do it for us this week. Appreciate everyone listening. If you missed the live Twitter space and you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure to give us a follow there at the mainline pod. Find us on YouTube by searching for The Mainline Podcast, and we will see everyone again next week for another episode of The Mainline.